0: On this episode of Stories Behind the Grind, listen to my conversation with Daniel Gomez with 14 years experience in leadership development, team building, and growing confidence, as well as an international best-selling author. We discuss how to build a people-first business, how to prevent becoming complacent as a leader, and the four core principles of leaders, no matter your title. My name is Aidan Voppler, and here you will find business strategies, tips, and tactics that you can incorporate not only in your own venture, but your life to help you simplify, and strategically grow, scaling up the impact you're having in this world. Listen as I talk to creators, innovators, and game changers on what it takes to build an impactful business, uncovering their insights, strategies, and tips to help you increase profitability and develop a thriving team culture. Welcome to the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. Daniel, um thanks so much for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. It's great to have you on. My pleasure to be on here, sir. I thank you for I'm honored to be on your podcast, I feel I feel like a celebrity
1: over here in the States. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Daniel, you've had 14 years experience in leadership development, team building, mastering sales, and growing confidence. You're an international best-selling author of You Were Born to Fly and the founder of Daniel Gomez Enterprises. Tell me, what led you to coach leaders to unlock their potential and that of their teams?
1: Well, you know, I ran organizations for many years and I think just learning as, at a young age, I actually had my first uh, supervisor manager's position when I was 23, 24 years old and you learn young and of course you make a lot of mistakes. But I think when I got into the automobile industry, it's just a uh, fast paced fun, but there's also a lot of stress. And one thing that I see is a lot of, a lot of young leaders just go about it the wrong way and without the right people skills, you, you never build a team you want. There's always a, there's always turnover. And as I look at other organizations and just other types of businesses, it's like, if you don't put people first, you're never going to have the team that you need to sustain that. And one thing that I learned at a young age was I was never a leader that never taught the people under him everything. I taught him everything because I didn't want to be dealing with a little knickknack so I could take a day off or take a vacation. And I know that it was running as smooth as as it possibly could. There's a lot of leaders out there that have the fear that if I teach aid in everything, it's gonna take my job. So they don't do everything they can do to make it successful.
0: Yeah, that that can be quite a limiting sort of mindset to believe that you're sort of you're only in a position of power because you know more than the people beneath you. Yes. In your opinion, what does having a people first sort of organization look like? Well, you know, I'll never forget the
1: supervisor manager I had over me and and like she was you could tell it's like she how can I say it, when you feel intimidated and I'm an expressive driver personality. So sometimes that driver comes out and, um, you know, cause I love, I love to give people the best service possible. I love to help people. So when you don't have that support from your superiors, from your leader, it's like you don't perform the best that you could because you know that you just get that vibration, that sense of, of jealousy or worry that man, what if so and so takes my job? And when you put people first, you really serve them and do everything you can possibly do to help them succeed. Because if they succeed, and the team succeeds well, then you succeed, but it's like that scarcity mindset. What if I teach a What if the team does what, 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 if somebody wants to take my job? Uh, what do they see that they're doing better than I am? And that scarcity mindset creates that. And you got to put people before profits because when you put profits before people, that's when your employees get disengaged and there's a, there's a high turnover there. And yeah, you might make a profit, but it's not going to be as profitable because you're always training or you're always have. Employees that are disengaged right now in America, right now, over 70% of corporate employees
0: are disengaged. That's a massive number. And I think it's about the same in Australia as well. I think there's, a, it's, it's a widespread issue across every sort of workplace. Cause like you said before or implied, that a lot of organizations do put profit before people because at the end of the day, they've got mouths to feed clients to serve and sort of a world to, a world to change. But. Obviously, putting people before profit. You can also have the profit and the people stay with your business for longer. There's four different types
1: of levels of leadership, and most people they never get out of out of level one, which is entitlement, because they have that title that says supervisor, that title that says manager or floor manager or whatever that that title, and just because they have that title, they expect people to respect them and to follow their lead. And let me tell you, a title is not going to get you the respect that you need. You need to earn that. Yes, you get promoted. Yes, you have that title, whether it's VP of lending or VP of marketing, whatever it may be. But if you don't provide the just the support that your team needs, that your staff needs, your employees need, they're never going to respect you. And a lot of leaders, they sit on that throne and it's like they're on top of a mountain and they're looking down. And they never take time to connect with the people that are below them, and that's where that old saying comes, right? Oh, Aiden, it's lonely up here at the top. Well, yeah, dummy, because you're not supposed to be at the top by yourself. You're supposed to be connecting with the people that you serve. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I've, I've worked in a few corporate uh, <laughs> environments where that's where that's happened because it's it, it's a status thing. It's a, it's a position of power. You know, they obviously got to where they were through you know hard work and discipline. But I think these days. It's uh, like you said. It's it's about connecting and about understanding who you serve—not just your clients, but your um your employees.
1: Yeah, I think there's still that mindset. A lot of these executives and just people in in business that they have that that agreement that they came with themselves that they were probably taught that you're never supposed to have lunch with your employees. You're never supposed to go out with your employees. And I agree. There's a certain line that you can't cross, but I definitely think that. Going out to lunch or going out to dinner with a spouse and just having some type of interaction to really build that connection, to really build that bridge. I mean, that speaks volumes. Just think about what message you're sending when you take time to really connect with somebody, whether it's during lunch. And I'll never forget the owner of the one of the, the leadership that I worked that I ran for many years. He, just going out to lunch with him, it's like the fact that he thought about inviting me. That that just showed the appreciation that he would even think about me, and that made me want to work harder. So it's not so much just going to lunch, it's like when somebody invites you out to lunch, it's like you're showing appreciation. And that, and appreciation many times, depending on your personality type, it goes further than a the bottom.
0: For sure. Appreciation such an underrated thing and it doesn't need to be big gestures or big gifts. It can be just the little things as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it could be just a pat on the back or good job recognition. I mean, the problem is that a lot of these people that are put in supervisor, managers, leadership positions is they don't understand the, the different personality types. But we don't understand the different personality types, you don't know how to cater to them. So you cater to them in your own style. And what does that do? It suppresses their emotions. So it suppresses their communication. And there's less communication within the team. And that's where the disengagement comes because it's kind of like here in America. If if you go to a get-together and they're playing country music and you hate country music, well, let me tell you, you're not going to stay there that long. Or if you go to a, a, a barbecue and they're playing... Rock and roll, and you're not a big rock and roll person. You you appreciate more classical music, but then you're probably not going to stay there that long. You're going to tolerate it to an extent, but there's going to come a point that says, "You know what? Let's go." But if you're one of those that likes R and B, and me and you, Aiden, go to a barbecue that has R and B, well, guess what? We're going to stay there dancing, having a good time because that's our vibe. That's our that's our connection. Does mm. that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. It's sort of tailoring your like you said your leadership style to the person that you're you know that you're leading and not having a broad brush approach to... Yes! And and doing the exact same thing just because it worked for you. And maybe one of your... Back when you were going through the ranks, maybe one of your managers or leaders did that to you and that worked for you. It may not work for others. And it's being... It's really having that flexibility of a leader.
1: Yes! And it doesn't even have to be... It could be being the leader of your own household. Nothing hurts me because, you know, just being being a speaker and being a corporate trainer, you know, we spend some time at airports and... I'll never forget. I was coming back from California. I spoke in at, uh, it was in, in Sacramento, I believe, when I was coming back or San Diego, one of the two. And I was at the airport and you could tell that there was a father that probably had some military in him. And, um, he was kind of an analytical emerald personality and his daughter, you know, you could tell she was one of those talkers, kind of expressive like me. And it's like just the way he was fathering her. It's like he was kind of telling her like, no, do it my way. My way is the right way. And yes, you want to communicate guidance to your children, but the way the tonality and just her personality isn't his personality. And when you do that so much, that's why a lot of times these, these students, these younger generations are children. They kind of retaliate or they tune us out because it's like their personality. That's not who they are. If somebody's an artist, you cannot force an artist to be an engineer. And that's kind of what he was doing. He was forcing his daughter to be an engineer. And she's like, no, I'm an artist listen to what i'm trying to tell you and of course i'm being the dad and you know god bless his soul and thank him for serving our 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 military here but children students young youth they have feelings and emotions and that's why they disengage and they shut their parents out at times too because i do a lot of i do a lot of school assemblies also when i see it
0: they tell me yeah does that make sense yeah it does i mean we've all got sort of natural inbuilt talents and um that we can either sort of draw upon or um, or suppress. And depending on where we are, we'll, we'll draw upon the ones that we, that we need to draw upon. What are some of your sort of talents that you've discovered over time that you use on a daily basis?
1: You know, for me, the, the number one thing that I always do is I always show appreciation. When I took over a Chevrolet store, we were losing a million dollars net a year. They were losing a million dollars. And when I took over it, people thought I was crazy. I was dumb because I had a pretty good... I had a, Actually, I had a really good job. But I was up for the challenge and when I took over it, they're like, man, you don't know what you're getting yourself into, but I didn't know exactly how I was going to do it. I had an idea, but I didn't know the exact plan because you never know it all, Aiden, right? Mm -hmm. So when I took over there, my number one focus was just to build prejudice with these people and show them that I appreciate them. And I didn't micromanage anybody, but we did a lot of appreciation, a lot of recognition. And yes, we made a crap load of mistakes, but I have this belief within myself, Aiden, is that If you're my employee and you make a mistake, I don't care. You can make all the darn mistakes you want to make. The part that's gonna upset me and the part that's gonna get my attention and it's gonna raise my eyebrow towards you is gonna be like, okay, why do we repeat that same mistake twice? So I don't care if we make a thousand mistakes in a day and they're all different, I'm good with that. But when we start repeating that same mistake, okay, well then there's a breakdown in the process and there's a breakdown in the procedures. What's going on here? And that was the rule I live by. And let me tell you. From losing a million dollars in a red the following year, we almost had a two million dollar turnaround where well, we made close to nine hundred and eighty seven thousand dollars positive net gross profit for the year, which is a huge turnaround.
0: That's massive. And that was all through, I guess, people development and um like you said, showing showing recognition and appreciation for those those staff and having that, that standard that making mistake's fine, making many mistakes is fine, but making the same mistake over and over again is not fine and let's work on a way to stop that from happening. Yeah.
1: And it just, you know, just set it. You have to set expectations. I think a lot of times in leadership, we set expectations, but we don't inspect what we expect. And when you don't inspect what you expect, then it's leadership's responsibility. And then we wonder why things fall through the cracks or why processes fall through the, to the wayside. And it's like, Hey, we started doing this. We implemented this action feature and we're not doing it. Why? Well, because you didn't inspect what you expect. The rise and fall of any organization is on management and leadership. And if you're not checking, you're supposed to be checking, then it's your responsibility. It's your fault. And I see a lot of times, sometimes we don't own the mistakes that we make in in leadership. And you have to take responsibility for those failures that you have. Just own it. When you own it, people respect
0: you more. When you don't own it, they're not going to respect you. Yeah, ownership is a powerful thing. What's your advice on setting expectations as leaders? and, And how can they ensure that the expectations that they set, they actually follow up on and hold people accountable to?
1: Well, it's it's pretty simple. I think you just lead by example. You whatever you want, you have to envision what you want your team to be. You want to envision the end in mind with the organization. So, say if your if your organization is based on sales and you're selling, you know, whether it's homes or whether it's selling high dollar faucets, whatever it is, give them the vision. Give give them that that mark, that goal that you want to aim for, and put it out there and let it be known and advertise it. Let them know what's going on. I think too many times we don't communicate what the overall vision is. And if we do communicate it, we communicate it once and then we forget about it. And once again, it goes by the wayside. But the success that I've seen, especially in doing a lot of corporate training, and I'm a I'm a confidence business coach when I go into organizations and I help them set milestones and goals and we do all this stuff. It's like when you keep that vision, that that milestone in front of them and you repeat it and you talk about it and you get their feedback on it, Then they buy into it. And guess what? You achieve that goal a lot quicker than what you would have if you would have just kept it to yourself. And it's just communicate. It's basic communication, but you'd be surprised how many times there's just a communication breakdown because we assume that somebody knows or we assume what their responsibility is. And it's like, no, just kind of stay in contact. Just revisit. Right. One thing that I would tell you that really makes a difference is you really want to just say you, you go through the week and you had a big, um, whether it's a big presentation or whatever it may be, a big a big sale going on or you had a big meeting or you had a big find that you're trying, whatever it may be, you always want to debrief at the end of the week and say, okay, let's debrief. How do you think this went, Aiden? How do you think this went, Daniel? What could we have done better? And when you debrief, that's when you get the feedback to take it to the next level. Because if you don't have the feedback, how are you going to know?
0: Yeah, it's such a valuable thing is feedback and having that buy-in from staff into where you're going, into where they want to be. And like you said, you can't you can't improve upon something without feedback.
1: Yeah, but I would tell you a lot of these, whether it's a small organization, a business, small business, or whatever size they may be, you have to debrief and communicate because that way everybody knows what's going on. Because if you just
0: assume, then more than likely, you're going to get the wrong assumption. What do you think prevents, I guess, leaders of businesses not seeking feedback what stops them from oh that's uh, easy <laughs> that's easy i can tell you because i made that
1: mistake as a leader <laughs> <laughs> i'm proud of it but it's your ego your ego gets in the way your ego gets in the way and, it, and you think you know everything you have that I, I know it all mentality i didn't get here by not knowing what i don't know and you just shut down your closed-minded and so it's your ego and being closed-minded that's that's, a, that's an easy one because I made that mistake in, in in my leadership days when I was a younger leader, and you know, it, it, even though you don't think it costs you in the long run, it costs you sometimes. So that's what that's that was an easy one.
0: <laughs> How did you? I've got a follow up then. How did you work your way out of that? So obviously, you recognize it as a as a problem and something that needed to be overcome. What did you do to go from a closed minded, <laughs> egocentric sort of leader to you know where you are now? You know. I,
1: Honestly, it's just a matter of connecting and, and putting yourself, whether it's in a, in a leadership conference or reading a book, just always be learning, always be growing. And I think there was a point of frustration as I was and just, kind of, you know, cause you know, we think because we, we said behind a, a closed door, we said we have our own office that our, our staff, our team doesn't see what's going on. They, they, they don't see the type of leaders that we are and they see it. The problem is we're blindsided and we don't see it because our egos doesn't allow us to see it. And then. When you get to that point to where, you know, somebody says, well, boss, why do you think about this, sir? It's like, nah, it's a dumb idea. Or nah, that's not me. And then you're like, hmm, maybe there is some truth here. And I think when you have more than one person kind of comment on the same perspective, then maybe there's some reality to it. And you have to humble yourself to do that. And I think that's what happened to me. So it's like, you know, how can I improve my problem? How can I improve that? And I think it's by continuous education and always reading and learning, even to this day. This past, um, as a matter of fact, me and my wife went to a, two leadership conferences this year already, Where one in January in Orlando and one this past uh, month in May in San Antonio. And it's like, you think you know everything, but there's always a new perspective and there's always something that you can learn. And I have a saying, as a leader, when you're green, you grow. And when you ripe, you rot, Aiden, because you're either growing or you're dying in life. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're not progressing, you're regressing, and I always choose
0: to be progressing. Yeah, to have that growth mindset, I think it comes back to an, an earlier comment you made about you know we don't know everything, and it is about that continuous learning and hearing it from multiple perspectives, whether it's from a conference, from your staff, from your you know from your peers, and it's really just take, taking that on and, and and seeing how you can make it work within your environment. Are there any books that you recommend have had a profound impact on your life and your sort of leadership style?
1: For me, you know what I would say? Uh, the Flat of the Buffalo is a good book to read. I read that as a young leader. The Flat of the Buffalo really helped just to kind of get an idea of um just leadership skills. And another one I would say is I read one of the first leadership books that I really, really went in depth with that I really studied to say that I studied to teach it. I read it to teach it was uh, A 360-Degree Leader from John Maxwell. And the one thing that I really learned from that is you don't need a title to be a leader. You can lead up, you can lead sideways, and you can lead downwards. And that's where that title, 360-degree leader, comes in. And I think that one was had... I liked it so much. I bought the... Oh, this was back in the day because I'm giving my age away now, Aiden. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I bought it in CD form, so I would actually listen to it over and over in the audio version in in my car. And I think that book really helped me to where it, it really just kind of changed my mindset that you don't need a title to lead people. And once I did that, it's like my influence grew. And sure enough, as your influence grows, your leadership promotion comes along the way. And next, you know, you're, you're leading even more people.
0: Yeah, and I guess that can be really valuable for those coming up through the ranks who may not have that, you know, supervisor, manager or leader title, but can can still act as a leader in their own right without it.
1: Yeah, because leadership is influence. And if you can't influence people, you can't lead. If you're the only one following yourself, well, then you gotta reassess.
0: What type of leader am I? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Can't remember the saying, but I think it's: if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with the team. Yeah, exactly.
1: And and that goes back to you know whatever the goal is for the team, whatever it may be, get your hands dirty, get involved, get in the trenches with them. Don't be scared to to step in the mud and walk with them, and show them, and guide them, and tell them. You know, don't tell them by by speaking it. Tell them by your body language, by your actions, on what you're doing. And when they see that, man, your respect goes up from fifty percent to a hundred percent within no time. But if you're scared to get in the trenches and get your feet dirty in the mud, and oh, I don't want to do this because this is this is below my pay grade, well, you're never going to be as successful as you can be. And I think that's a lot of the problems that we see right now. Because right now, there's an epidemic in corporate America that there's there's a there's great leaders that are missing and. When great leaders can be developed and grown and work on their strengths and really show appreciation and that they care, I think profits would be breaking the stocks and
0: would be just growing and their value. For sure. There's so much potential left in the system for those leaders to step into, you know, who they could become and grow not only themselves but their teams and their and I guess the businesses that they run as well. There's so much potential out there.
1: No, for sure. Put it this way, we haven't If we were to figure out a lot of the kinks, people would be engaged. They'd be happy, and of course, happy employees are more productive employees. And when they're more productive, guess what comes out more more profits. So, like I said, when you put people before profits, the sky's the limit.
0: Definitely, yeah, yeah. People are remarkably adaptable as humans, and the more you can sort of nurture that growth and that development, you'll be surprised at where they can sort of take you and, and the different perspectives that they can have.
1: Yes, for sure. I mean, definitely. put it this way, no matter where you're at in life, no matter where your organization is currently, there's always another level for people and there's always another level for your organization.
0: What are some lessons you've learned from those who were, that you were helping develop? So those that weren't at your position, what have you learned from, I guess, your subordinates? Stay humble, stay humble and stay hungry. Never
1: lose that fire because once, once the leader becomes complacent, then the organization becomes complacent. And if the organization comes complacent, then you're never going to achieve the end, the end goal in mind and productivity is going to come down. And I think a lot of times as you move up the corporate ladder, as you move up in the ranks, you're hungry, you're doing everything, you're, you're giving a hundred percent, you're coming in early, you're staying late. And then once you reach that, whatever that level of leadership is in your mind, and it might not, it might not even be the pinnacle of it. It might just be, you know, being one of those. Middle managers and uh, leadership and, and whatever um, type of business they may be, you just become complacent. And then when you do that, it's like your creativity goes away. You start leaving early, you start arriving late. Then you start taking like here in America, what they call it, right? The joke of it is, are you taking an executive lunch because it's a two or three hour lunch? And then when your employees see that you stop caring, well, then they stop caring.
0: Yeah. I guess that spreads quite rapidly. It's, it's amazing how much we mirror our, um, you know, those in higher positions, yeah. So
1: if, if you see your boss taking a two-hour lunch, you're gonna be like, I can take an extra fifteen minutes, hmm. an hour. I'm just taking fifteen minutes. You justify it
0: <laughs> for sure, for sure. You definitely do because you you model. I mean, I, I guess in life we, we sort of model those in sort of more more authoritative positions. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's 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 a gimme. It's, I mean,
1: that's a no-brainer. I mean, it's 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 built into our mindset. Put it this way, within your subconscious mind. You have mirror neurons and those mirror neurons, they reflect back, what they see. So if you see your leader being lazy, you're going to be lazy. If you see your leader being greedy, well, you're going to be greedy as an employee. If you see if those mirror neurons see him being disorganized, well, guess what? You're going to be disorganized. So whatever whatever you portray, that's the reflection your employees are getting of you.
0: Yeah, it's so powerful. And you can say all the words you want, but it's really through the actions and how you lead that really comes across. So it's really important for those in in leadership who want to develop leadership and and want to influence to really be conscious of what they do when no one's looking as well. Yes, exactly. Definitely. If you had to sort of distill everything down to three core principles for those that want to lead or, or for those that are leaders, what would they be?
1: Character. You have to have the character to handle the blessing. You can have the talents all day long and your talents might get you there, but if you don't have the character, you're not going to stay there. So you have to have the character to sustain it. And that would be integrity, value in people and just be resilient because no matter how good or how bad things may be, it's going to go up and it's going to come down. And you got to have that resilience that you're know, it's not if you fail, but when you fail, you got to be resilient to bounce back up and keep going. Yeah. And I guess that's part of character building as well. Yes. Yes, mm. for sure. Because if you don't have the character, you're not gonna stay there. Your talents will get you there. I'll say that again. Your talents will get you there. But if you don't have the character and you don't have integrity, if we don't have that, then if we don't value people, have that value, and if we don't have the resilience, you know, it wears you off. And um, I think one that, and a fourth one that I would definitely add in there would was, was, was trust. I think so many times we have trust issues that we don't trust people, and you cannot build a team without trust. Because trust is a glue
0: that holds everything together. Hmm. Definitely. It's it's the bedrock of every of every relationship. If you can't trust someone, it doesn't matter how skillful they are or how charismatic they are. You need first and foremost trust to build that relationship. So yeah, yeah, for
1: sure. It's a, it's, it's a must. It's
0: a must. So I, I agree with you on that. Really appreciate. I know that was a tough question. Really appreciate your insight <laughs> <laughs> into you know those sort of key tenets, those key principles, and in, in what it takes. And anyone at any stage in their career. Or any stage of running their business can work on developing those, um, those key sort of principles. Yeah,
1: because there's going to be that day where you get that order and you want to rush it to the assembly line, whatever it may be. And yes, if you can have the turnaround within what's going to, what's going to suffer the quality of the product. So you got to find that happy medium where quality and and value is there for the customer that they're not getting us. Inferior product or an inferior service just because you want to rush it through. And you know, it's just, it, it, there's a lot of things that, I'll, of course, it depends which type of, which type of industry you're in. But the main thing is if, if you deliver something with value, whether it's a product or service and don't just deliver that value or product within that service or that, or that product, but you always got to give more than what the customer pays for. And when you do that, it's going to come back to you a hundredfold. I guarantee you that. But if you're just doing just enough to keep the customer happy, well, then you're not going to keep that customer forever. You got to go above and beyond. You gotta, you have to you always have to deliver more, whether it's a product or service. So say somebody buys a product from you. Say, just for instance, just, just say you go to... Over here, what comes to mind? Say you go to the department store and you buy a pair of shoes. Well, yes, the, the shoes are, are a quality product, but then the customer service that goes with that, it has to be above what they paid for. And when you do that, People will pay for it and they'll come back. That's where you have repeat customers. But if you, de- if you deliver a great product and then the service stinks, well, then you're going to lose the customer because as a the service, we'll always over deliver.
0: And when you do that, you can't lose. Definitely, it's about. I guess it's about expectation management and managing and, and over exceeding the expectations that or we perceived expectations that your um, customers or clients have, and over delivering so that they then they feel like they put value for money. Exactly. Yes. Definitely, because if they don't feel that
1: if they don't feel that the the value they're getting for what they're paying, then they might do business with you that one time, but they'll never come back.
0: Yeah, they'll, they'll look elsewhere whether they where the customer service might be a bit better. Daniel, a question I'd like to ask all guests is, um, what's your definition of the grind? What's my definition of the grind? Well, I think it's when
1: you mimic the behavior you want done, and for me, it was always the last day of the month when we we're closing out the month, and you stay there till. Past the time the dealership closes, and even though you could be home, you're there with with your employees, with your sales team, and you just celebrate the fact that you hit your quota that you wanted to hit, and you're tired as crap, and it's 11 o'clock at night, but they see that you were there with them, walking side by side, that's the grind. I call it a good tire, so I'm never scared of a good tire when you get the results that you're after.
0: I love that. Thank you for sharing. And where, where can people find more about you and what you're up to?
1: Yeah. Well, if you Google Daniel Gomez Inspires, all my platforms come up there. Daniel Gomez Inspires is my brand. So that's my, uh, YouTube page. So subscribe me on YouTube. That's also my, uh, Instagram and on, on, uh, Facebook, you put Daniel Gomez Inspires at and, um, I'll come up that way. And then on Twitter, I'm Daniel Inspires. And then of course you can go to my webpage right now. It's com com, And I actually have my coaching program on sale for your audience. So when they go to my website and they click on my 12-week program, they're going to get a summer special savings on there, which is going to save them hundreds of dollars because I really want to add value to people this summer and really get them ready for the upcoming year, whether it's um for school or just finishing the second, third quarter. I really want to give back to this, this people. I value people. So that's something I'm going to do for your free audience to is them my coaching program which is a 12 week program great HD videos awesome content and I guarantee you they're not going to be disappointed
0: appreciate that Daniel really really do thank you thank you for that offer no
1: no problem thank you man you've been uh, it's been awesome I really enjoy you I, I think I like your
0: accent <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when you um, you don't realize you have an accent until I went overseas about five years ago and um <laughs> Overseas for for a period of time, that I actually realised that you know Australians do have accents. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, th- thanks once again. You know those insights into leadership and you know how to develop your character, and we covered a lot. How to set expectations and building a people first business was really valuable. So thanks again for your time. I know I know you're really busy. Um, so. oh
1: no, no. I mean the main thing to, When you value people, they value you back, and to have a successful organization, small business, business, when you show appreciation, when, when, when you appreciate people, they'll appreciate you. I think that sums up successful business. Appreciate your people and they'll appreciate you. And that circle will keep going and you'll get the results you want to.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Stories Behind the Grind. Please share the podcast. And if you're not already subscribed, be sure to do that right now. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you could do me a quick favor and rate and review the podcast. This lets the platform know that I'm doing something right and people like the content. It'd be a huge help, and I'd be really, really grateful if you could. Until next time.